The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. So we've been looking at uh, what we must do as believers concerning government and politics. And we've said that we must be subject to authority. We must submit to governing authority. That means we must recognize their authority over us and that they have authority to punish us if we don't obey them, that they have legitimate authority that's given to them by God. Secondly, we've said that we must obey political authorities, governing authorities, uh, with one exception, and that is when they ask us to disobey God, at which point we must do the third thing, which is disobey the government in order to obey God and therefore, uh, first of all, to obey God, and secondly, to highlight what the government that is doing that is contrary to what God would have us do. Fourth, we must honor and respect those in authority, whether or not we think they've personally earned it because of their office, because their uh, position of authority that they've been given by God is worthy of our honor and respect. And then fifth, we say that, said that we must pray for those in authority. Uh, Paul gives us that instruction in the New Testament. The prophet Jeremiah passes along God's instruction in this regard in the book of Jeremiah. We're to pray for those in authority. And these, this is one of the things that actually includes a promise, which is, uh, or a benefit, if you will, which is that we will then lead peaceable and quiet lives. So there are a few other things that we must do, biblically speaking, concerning government politics. We must be, sixth, a prophetic witness, not a pathetic witness, a prophetic witness to the truth. And we have examples, of course, of Jesus being a witness to the truth, of John the Baptist being a witness to the truth, uh, and, uh, and the apostles. We have a responsibility to be a witness to the truth, to show the world what is right and what is true and what is godly. And uh, I, I like to take my students uh, through, and I have time to go through the whole thing here, but I'll just summarize that. I like to take them through an incident in, in, that covers much of the life of Paul. In Acts 23, 11, um, we see something that isn't often talked about, and that is Jesus actually visits Paul. Jesus visits Paul while he's in his jail cell. And, you know, we, you, to be an apostle, you had to have seen the risen Christ. And we often say, well, yeah, Paul saw Christ on the Damascus Road. Well, he also saw him in person in the jail. And Jesus then told Paul, as you've witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem, you must witness in Rome also. And so Paul, from that point on, knows he's headed to Rome. We might make our vacation plans, and we plan to do this, that, or the other, but we don't really know what's going to happen. But Paul knows he's going to Rome. And so when he deals with the governor, the Roman governor, in his trial of sorts, um, he appeals to Caesar so that they have to send him where Caesar is, which is Rome. Paul says, I know I'm going to Rome. You might as well get the Romans to pay for it. And so he goes to Rome. And at the end of Philippians, in one of those sections of the Bible that people always skip over at the end of epistles, you know, where, it's, where it says, you know, send Mark to me or tell Bob I said hi or have somebody bring my jacket, that section that people often skip over, there's a nugget in there in Philippians 4.22 in which Paul says, all the saints in Caesar's household greet you. 
Why are there saints in Caesar's household? Because Paul was subject to authority and he was a prophetic witness to the truth. In his trial before the king of Israel, Paul, uh, at one point the king says to Paul, uh, if you keep going like this, perhaps you'll make me become a Christian. And he's being sarcastic. He doesn't really mean he's interested in being a Christian. But what's the point? The point is, what is Paul talking about in his trial? Is he talking about fine points of the law? Is he pointing out his rights? He's preaching the gospel. And so we are to be a prophetic witness to the truth. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 10 when he's training the disciples. And he says, you'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Why will they be brought before governors and kings? Because they're going to be preaching the gospel. They're going to be told not to. They're going to be arrested. They're going to be subject to authority. And they're going to go before governors and kings, just like Paul did. And then they are to be a witness to the cause of Christ. Seventh, we are to pay our taxes, uh, all of them. Now, it doesn't mean we can't take advantage of tax breaks uh, and and exemptions and so forth that are legal, but we are to pay our taxes, all of the taxes that the government requires of us. Jesus addresses the issue twice, and interestingly enough, he addresses the two excuses that Christians sometimes give for not paying taxes, and in both instances, Jesus says, pay your taxes. These are not valid reasons or excuses for not paying taxes. So as much as I'd like to say, uh, that, that, that I wouldn't like to have this in here, we are to pay our taxes. Next, we should develop a biblical approach to political issues. Now, why do I say that? Because we should de develop a biblical approach to all issues, all issues of life, all questions that come before us. We should go first to the Bible and determine our viewpoint there and then judge our political philosophy or, our, or whether we're conservative or liberal ideas uh, by what the Bible says. We should develop a biblical approach to issues, and, and government issues are no exception. We should go first to the Bible, determine what the Bible would have us do, and then judge our political philosophy by what the Bible says. And then finally, we need to be discerning. We need to understand, as I said before, that both sides want to manipulate us. Both sides, the side we agree with and the other side. We need to be discerning so that we uh, are not manipulated. All right, so these are the things that we must do in terms of uh, government and politics. But what may we do? What do we have as options to do? We can choose to do them or not to do them depending on, on what, we, what we think is right or what we think is best or what we like or don't like. First, we may, as we already said, hold public office. We have the example of Joseph. We have the example of Daniel. Uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with holding public office, so we may do that if you want to. If you want to go into politics, many of my students do, that's fine. No problem. Secondly, what may we do? We may work in a political occupation. Maybe you work on a campaign staff, or maybe you, you work in a government office in some bureaucracy or something like that. That's perfectly fine. We can work in a political occupation if that's what we wish to do. It's an option. Third, you may vote. Now notice I said you may vote. You don't have to vote. I mentioned earlier that uh, in a previous lesson that there's no obligation to vote. The Bible doesn't say we have to vote, doesn't talk about voting at all, um, but it is an option. As believers and in America, 
we have the option to vote. I encourage people to vote if you know what you're doing. Uh, I'm one of those people who, who argues not everybody should vote. If you're ignorant, uh, I don't mean stupid, I mean ignorant, you're not informed, then you shouldn't vote. But if you are informed and you should make yourself informed, then you should vote. It's a good civic duty, it's a civic obligation, it's not a biblical obligation or a biblical duty. Uh, now there is an exception. Uh, if there is no candidate worthy of your vote, then you shouldn't vote. If your options are Hitler, Stalin, and S Satan, then you shouldn't vote. Uh, or if you're in a state that allows you to write in votes, you can do that. I've written in, I've voted for my father-in-law for senator three times. I've voted for Dr. Stead for governor a couple of times. If neither candidate is worthy of your vote, then uh, you can write in somebody or just not vote. Okay. In my own personal, it's just a personal commitment, is I won't vote for someone for any significant office who is in favor of abortion. And that's why I voted for... Um, others for offices of Senate and Governor in California because frequently both party candidates are pro-abortion. It's just my own conviction. I don't put that on anybody else. But it, I just don't think those candidates that are worthy of my vote, and so if that's the case, you shouldn't vote. But I voted in every election since 1976, and I think you should vote, but you, there's no biblical obligation to vote. Fourth, we may take advantage of privileges that the state gives us. Paul gives us an example twice, at least, in which he does that. I already mentioned to you that he appealed to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he had that option, and he, and he took advantage of that. In another instance, they were about to whip Paul, and they tied him down. They were about to scourge him, and he said, wait a minute, is it legal for you to whip a Roman who is uncondemned? And they said, wait a minute, whoa, you're a Roman citizen? Okay, sorry, and they let him go. And you can do that. You can take advantage of privileges that the state gives as long as they don't require you to disobey God. And then fifth, I personally believe it's, it's fine to protest or demonstrate. Uh, I think that's another option that we have. If we don't like something, we can go out and march. We can do uh, petitions or whatever. We can protest and demonstrate, and I think that's perfectly fine as long as we do it in a, in a, in a way that is winsome and not uh, antagonistic, as long as we do it as a Christian with a proper, um, proper attitude and a proper approach. And then finally, another thing we may do is volunteer or contribute for political causes. Volunteer our time, contribute our money for political causes. But again, this needs to be in moderation, seeking first his kingdom, uh, and this is a secondary thing. If this is your number one priority and if this is what you give most of your time and money to, then your priorities are out of whack. A couple of other things we need to note as we wrap things up. First of all, we need to recognize that, that there are at least three powers that belong to government that scripture recognizes as belonging to government. Now there may be more. This is not intended to be a restrictive list. The government may legitimately do other things, but the Bible recognizes three things that governments may do and have the authority to do. The first is to make laws or commands. Uh, the government has authority from God to make laws and commands, to command us to do things and require us to do things. Secondly, Unfortunately, the scripture recognizes the government's power to tax, uh, and we've talked about that 
uh, probably more than any of us had wanted to. So that's a second power that belongs to the government that scripture recognizes. Third, the government also has, Romans 13, 4, the power of the sword, the power to wield the sword. Now this term, the sword, in the Greek, uh, doesn't mean just any type of force or any type of combat. It refers specifically to capital punishment. It's a particular term, in the, it's an idiom in, in, um, in Greek for capital punishment. And so the government has legitimate power to execute people, to take people's lives, to do the ultimate punishment, capital punishment. Uh, in fact, uh, back in Genesis 9, when God first institutes civil government, that is what he talks about, is capital punishment. And so these are powers that belong to the government. The government can do these things. There are other things that government can do. The Bible doesn't really restrict government in terms of what it can do. Uh, there are other things they can do, uh, but these are things that are, that are recognized as powers belonging to government in Scripture. And I want to conclude with sort of the ultimate context for all of this and our approach to government. And that is that God is sovereign over the rise and fall of nations, and everything follows his plan. God is sovereign over the rise and fall of nations, and everything follows his plan. And there are a number of passages of scripture that talk about this. Jeremiah 27, 5 to 8 is a good one. Isaiah 14, 24 to 27. Job 12, 23. Just to look at a couple of them, a few of them. Job 12, 23 says, He, God, makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. Job 37, 13 says, Whether for correction or for his word or for loving kindness, he, God, causes it to happen. So what happens is according to what God has planned. Isaiah 14, 24 and 26, 27. Surely just as I have intended and just as I have planned, so it will stand, says God. This is the plan devised against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned and who can frustrate it? Yahweh has planned and who can frustrate it? Only someone who is stronger than Yahweh, stronger than God, can turn his hand back. And so God is in control of everything that happens. The election results are God's plan. Wars are God's plan. Pandemics are God's plan. He's in charge of everything. And this reality should give us great peace and contentment and confidence. Again, this reality that God is in control should give us great peace, contentment, and confidence in the governmental and political arena. And fundamentally, what I always say to people when I, I'm contacted frequently by former students or by people at church or other people uh, on political questions, and often it's when they're upset about something, and what I always end up with is God is on his throne. No matter what the election result, no matter the war, no matter the conflict, no matter some bill that's passed or a Supreme Court judge that got in or didn't get in, God is on his throne. And that gives me great peace, contentment, and confidence. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate.
To learn more about the Masters University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, visit masters.edu.